Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Fiction, science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.comslash style for free shipping and 365 day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and of course, I'm Al Warren, Mr. David Martino, not the baseball player, (laughs) is on the sidelines today. Not the baseball player? Not the baseball player. No. No. You were never any good anyway. No, I wasn't. I I couldn't catch. (laughs) That's why you're here. If you were good, you would you you would never even give me time of the day, right? It would have been yeah. Well, well, maybe I could have uh, could have done this on the side. Yeah, with a, with a great baseball career. Yeah, well, <laughs> so much for that. Um, I know, right? Yeah, it's crazy, crazy. Okay, so now before we get on with our guest, I thought I'd mention that I was uh, I was trying that new thing they said to help you sleep better at night. Remember? Um, oh, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. You take yeah. your mouth closed and, oh, and okay, that's it right. makes you breathe through your nose. And, stuff. <laughs> and it didn't work. I almost <laughs> killed myself. So uh, I, I'm recommending people do not do this. Okay. No. Okay. This is something uh, just from me to you. One piece of advice I give. That would be a dangerous act on uh, TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They'd pull down your video, Al. Yeah. Well, you're the one that gets your videos. I know. It's not me. I'm I'm, dangerous. I'm I'm the nice guy. You're the dangerous (laughs) guy. Karate, kung fu. But not baseball. Not baseball. No baseball. You you do better at karate. That's true. (laughs) Well, anyway. So um, now today we are talking, um, this is quite a guest here. I'm very interested in talking to him. So uh, let's just get right to it. He's got a new book called Good Night Forever. 
Mr. Jeffrey Fleischman, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Yeah, Jeffrey, you have got, wow, I'm amazed at your career. Um, I I could have never done this. You're like long-time uh, correspondent, and I see you have been in, in Rome and Berlin, Cairo, did Iraq, uh, Libya. Holy cow! What what what's that like doing that? All that traveling and living and doing reporting like that. Uh, it's been it's been fascinating since I was a since I was a kid. I I always wanted to to do two things: um, tell stories and see the world. And, and I thought that being a foreign correspondent was the cheapest way to do that. So, um, <laughs> that's, uh, that's how that came about. But I, and I loved uh, immersing myself in, in other cultures and trying to understand the politics and, and the societies of, of, of other nations. And so it's been every time I went somewhere, I learned a lot about not only where I was going, but myself as, as any, I guess most travelers would tell you, but, um, but no, I, I loved my time in, in, in uh, I was based mainly in Rome and then Berlin and then Cairo and, and did the Arab Spring and saw and saw that uh, real momentous history going on in the Arab world in 2011. Did you ever sort of get a little bit scary at times? During, during uh, in the wars it did. I mean, the Iraq War, the Kosovo War, the, the, the Libya uprising in war after Gaddafi fell. Uh, yeah, I mean, they were very, you had to really keep your wits about you and, and be careful where you traveled. And, uh, and I was in Iraq when the invasion, invasion happened. We were in the, in the north and, um, and, and it was just, uh, you just had to keep the right people and fixers around you. You had to get people who knew the lay of the land, where it was go, where it was safe to go, where it was not safe to go. And then sometimes you, you come around a corner or a bend and just see this horrific thing. Uh, and you try to, to to process that and keep moving. I, it was always like, in, in, especially in war zones, where how fast, how fast yet slow seeing, things seem to move, and then how you process them, and then you sit down and you write, and you know that the, the next day is coming up, and you have to do it again. But at the same time, you're trying to get your hands around this momentous event that's happening in this country, and that's of consequence to the world in a lot of in a lot of times. So. It was, Dealing with the personal um, visions of that, and then trying to articulate it as best you could, I found it both um, terrifying and exhilarating, and, and a real challenge. Yeah, I would. I would think that's quite the the life. I I, I don't think I'd have the uh, guts or stamina, but that's uh, that's me. Um, wow. So it, I'd imagine that a lot of that lifestyle, but what you did. Um, has somehow worked its way into your into your fiction books. Yeah, my 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 first novel was uh, uh, Promised Virgins, and it was it was it was very it was not autobiographical, but I think it's a lot of first novels are. It was, it was close to it. It was about a foreign correspondent covering the war in Kosovo, which I which I did, and the injection into that war of this Osama bin Laden type character. So uh, so. From that landscape and that terrain, I was able to, and, and a lot of my own experiences, I was able to, to draw and, and create a world that, that I wanted to in fiction. And so, um, and then it went on, it went on from there. And my second novel, Shadow Man dealt also with a foreign correspondent who was suffering later in life from Alzheimer's and how he was trying to hold on to one memory he had 
and, and, and other people were trying to make sure to try to bring back the rest of these men. But, and it was that struggle. And then as I, and then as I moved to Los Angeles, when I came back to the States in 2014, um, I'd only really known about, uh, Los Angeles as far as it comes to crime and law through, you know, the Bogart movies, the, you know, the old, the old late night Bogart movies of the channel and novels of the Hammett novels. But I was so intrigued by Hollywood's take on, on, on noir and crime at that, at a young age, uh, that when I got here, I, I thought I, I sort of want to get away from writing more or close to autobiographical stuff and getting into really trying to absorb Los Angeles and why, why it was such a prominent place for me. So that's when the trilogy of which ends with Goodnight Forever started. Now, your main, your main character, I guess, is Detective Sam Carver. You talk to a lot of fiction writers, but you coming from the same world I'm in, kind of the nonfiction, um, you know, reporting and telling true stories and stuff. How is the, um, conversion how was it for you to go into fiction and create a totally new character like sam carver out of your mind yeah i mean it, a part of it was was a lot had to do with the uh the landscape and the terrain i live in downtown los angeles so um buttressed with with skid row and the, on one side and the fascinating wealth and 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 for lack of a better term glamour of the city on the other and you caught in between all this and i just was i wondered how how a detective would would navigate so many different disparities and, and what that would be like. And so I began thinking about uh, what what the character would need, what would what would be his his personality traits in dealing with this, and how he would handle it. And and then from there, I just began writing the the first the, the first chapter of the first book, which was my detective, and uh, and to try to get into in, into his head. And so it became a I think, and I, I think it became a, a bit of a challenge at the beginning because you, I think journalism, I think Hemingway once said, you know, the, the best thing for a novelist to be is to be a journalist so long as one knows, so long as he knows when to stop being a, 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 a journalist, you know, to be the novelist in him. And I think part of me uh, still struggles with that, although it's gotten a lot easier since I've written a number of books now, but to, to let go of the real self and take part of that real self and the experience that real selves have and embed it into something completely fictional and made up. Uh, and so that's uh, that's what I that's what I was really working to do with Carver because I really wanted him to be a distinct a distinct character with some different traits than might be expected. Well, do you feel uh, being a journalist? Uh, with deadlines and 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 all of that, do you feel that has made you a a, I guess a more efficient writer and um, being able to kind of pull in maybe the people that uh, you have met along the way through your experiences? I think so. I think in in uh, yeah, I do. I, I think it's helped me. It's helped me in terms of structure and editing and being a self editor. Uh, those are the the positive things. That, that come with it. The, the tougher things is that, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, knowing to take off the journalist hat and go into the fiction hat, to, to seek that other truth in fiction and know that the boundaries are much, in many ways, much, much wider. And, um, and in drawing in, for example, with the, the Sam Carver series, the first 
book, in each of the story, in each of the books, I wanted to have Los Angeles be its own character. And that's when I think the journalist in me came out. So the first book, My Detective, deals with uh, an art, a killer architect. And so I explored the downtown Los Angeles as it was going through a renaissance in, the, in, in around 2017, 18, and 19. And the second book, uh, uh, Last Dance, deals with Hollywood and, uh, and Russian, and Russian intrigue in the film business. And then the third one, Good Night Forever, deals with the homeless, the homeless crisis and, uh, and the rise of, uh, you know, alt-right politics. So I tried to, those were, I think, where my journalism background came into play because I wanted to set Sam Carver alive, not only in the world of the crime you're solving, but to, to live more broadly and deeply into the real world around him to think about certain, certain issues. You know, um, is it the same for you as a lot of fiction writers? Do you, are you like Sam Carver? Do you do you actually hear him in your head, or do you see him, or how do you experience your character, or is it something completely different? I think I, I think I think I do um, sometimes when I'll you know be be writing and I'll think you know you're writing you're writing the character Sam Carver, but. Innately, he's part of you. He's, he's a creation of you. So some of your DNA is definitely in him. So sometimes, uh, I will be writing and, and thinking, you know, is this Sam or is this Jack? And, and I don't want to overstate that because some, you do have to get into your character, but obviously your own self and you're the creator of that. But I do think that, you know, there is some of Sam, you know, some of me and Sam. I think that's, that's natural. So I don't want, I know where the separation is, but I but I like that commingling of both our our natures. Yeah, like you're not waking up in the middle of the night with a shovel in your hand. Not yet. <laughs> in my boots. I, I, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, because Dave does that all the time. Yeah, that's that's basically it. <laughs> Wait till there's bodies piling up, you know. Um, no, it's just because uh, I hear all sorts of stuff. Like we get, we talk to a lot of people that write into fiction a lot, and they'll like each, they'll even um, describe their characters as like their family or friends or children and stuff. So, um, I, you know, I get all sorts of stuff like that. I don't know, I don't know how deep it goes with you. Um, I always think it's harder for a nonfiction person to 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 go that far. Yeah, I think I think you do. You do have to separate your nonfiction world and and with your with with your make believe world. And um, as I said, you can carry some of the stuff over, but you really need to be. And, and that's a that's a challenge I had early in the novel. Like you really need to be able to sort of jump off that precipice and and go to these other places and look for the truth in in the make believe. And uh, that 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 that's a part of fiction I find fascinating. Well, do, do your characters surprise you? Um, have have they ever gone off the rails a little bit and and maybe uh, took over the plot or changed it? Uh, yes, yeah, sometimes in, uh, in in my in my first book, uh, Promised Virgins, there's a character I just wanted to be to be a, a character in a set piece, and uh, and that was going to be it. He was going to be in and out, and then uh, and then I was as I was writing him. I, I thought, no, this, this guy belongs. He has, he has a lot more to say. And so I, I made him, uh, a much bigger role, much more prominent in the book. And in the good, in the uh, Sam Carver series, uh, I tried to make it a specific point 
to make sure all my all my uh, non-prominent characters, side characters, so to speak, were very were very well drawn, had their own distinct personalities, uh, their own distinct look, how they looked at the world, how they moved through the world, to make each of them each of them real. Because I thought, in, if I can create realities in these in these more minor characters that that the reader can really see, then when I drop Sam into that environment and then you know Dylan cross the 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 killer, then it, it will become a fully formed world. So those characters for me, even even the minor ones, I try to give a, a really when they're on the screen or on the page, really a really prominent feel. So you uh, you know you're so you're supporting characters, so to speak. I guess you um, where do you get them from? Are you like kind of hanging out in coffee shops and walking around the streets and listening to people or what, what, where does it come from for you? Some, sometimes, sometimes that, uh, sometimes it's traits of people. I know that I like the magpie, take a little here, take a little there, try to create a, a character, um, like the character in, um, Carver's, Carver's boss, Captain Manuel Ortiz in, in the series. Uh, he's sort of a cop who's been around. He's seen it all. He's, He's he's a religious man. He doesn't uh, he doesn't he doesn't count. He understands the cruelties of the world, so to speak. But he also waits for its moments of grace, and that's where he finds his his redemption because he believes that despite what he sees, there's a goodness out there. Although it becomes increasingly harder to find for him, but he navigates that. Uh, and and Lenny Lenny the bartender in all three. In all three of the Carver books is where Carver goes to unload, not necessarily to drink, but to just talk to Lenny. Lenny's a guy from Brooklyn who, who escaped a drug rap and ended up bartending in Los Angeles where he's been for decades. And he and Lenny talk about all kinds of things because Lenny's sort of this rancor and, and, uh, and, and will go anywhere in a conversation and Carver likes that about him. So, uh, those kinds of characters, uh, I find it's it's like the you know the characters. Remember, um, Gene Hackman used to always be so well known and so so well praised because he could just appear on the scene for five or ten minutes early in his career, but you would remember that scene because it was it, it just, just the indelibleness he brought to it. And I try to make my smaller characters in the book the same way, so there, there's a memory attached to them. Yeah, I think that's great. It makes it a, a fuller story and all around. I, I think that's great. It's much more uh, enjoyable um, for a person to read. Um, wow! Do you? So this is a three book series that you've done. This is the last of the three books. Um, when you when you have this in your mind at the beginning, back at book one, did you sort of know where you were going to begin, where it was going to be in the middle, and where it was going to be in the end? Do you sort of have that all sort of worked out, and maybe even outlined, and then you kind of fill it in? Or are you type just starting and you just kind of go as it goes? Yeah, I am not a three by five index kind of guy, right? Um, no, yeah, I just go with <laughs> No, what happened with this one, it started with, you know, as I mentioned earlier, about wanting to get into noir, discovering, exploring LA through this. So, um, so the, the book started, I was only going to write one book. Uh, Sam Carver, and and the first and the first book is called My Detective, and it's it's it starts with the killer Dylan Cross, who's an architect who's been grievously wronged 
previously, and she's seeking uh, and she's seeking revenge on other architects. And so she opens the book with her murder, and it's it, it's in the first person. The second chapter is Carver, and he's in the first person. So the first book, my detective, goes back and forth in the first person, basically a dialogue between these two people who have never met. Uh, and so, and I didn't want it to end like sort of a typical uh, crime novel or a noir novel. I wanted to be have some ambiguity. So, um, so my my agent and the agent read it and then the publisher came back and said, well, would you do another book on this to see how this all ends? So, um, so I said, okay. And that's when I did last dance. And then they said, well, will you come back and do a third book? Cause we really didn't want to see how it ends now <laughs> because all, through all, through all three books, basically the, the storyline is, is when I really, and you know, I didn't stop and think about this in, in depth until, until just a little while after, I finished up with Good Night Forever, but I thought if I really had to put this in a in a in a one sentence line, because you know L.A. and Hollywood are famous for telling your story in one line, but it would really be this twisted delusional love story between these two very damaged people. One's a one's a killer, and one's a cop, and uh, and they go through three books together in varying degrees, and then Good Night Forever, um, the finality of that title suggests that that one of them may not be around um, much longer. And so that's that's sort of the so when the book started, no, I had no idea that it would be three books or that it would end. But midway through the second book, Last Dance, I knew if I did a third book, how pretty much how it would end. You see, and if they ask you to do another one, you can just it was all a dream. Yeah, it was. That, that's right. I mean, the dream. <laughs> hey, the dream motif is very popular, right? It was all a yeah. dream or hallucination. I did mushrooms and I came in from the desert. And <laughs> yeah. See, book four, yeah. the mushroom dream. Right. <laughs> <laughs> See, we got it made. You can, do, you can keep this going all your whole life. Yeah. Keep it going. How long did it take you to put this all together? Like, did each book come at you? pretty quickly or does it take a little longer uh i think uh each book took about uh say a little more than a year to write um because i did have a day job so i would get, get up really early in the morning and that's when i did my best fiction writing and then um so yeah well my detective came out in 2019 uh last dance came out in 2020 and good night forever just came out well, with this trilogy, how did you keep everything organized? Uh, did you have did you use a, a specific set of tools, or did you just keep notes? Uh, how does that work for you? Um, I kept it. Uh, I knew that uh, each that I had the two main characters, so I knew they were going to be propelling the story through the next two books. And I knew, like I mentioned earlier, Captain Manuel Ortiz. Lenny, these characters I definitely wanted to carry from one book to the next because they really helped shape Sam. I mean, in a lot of ways, he could mirror off of them, so we got a fuller dimension of Sam through them and vice versa. Um, with Dylan Cross, uh, the killer, um, she was, she was the, in, in, in a lot of ways, the, the fascinating character to me, especially as I got, got deeper into the book about what her motivations were. She's, She's six foot tall. She's of Croatian descent, so she's imposing and and, and uh, imposing character. And so she is also was also a genius at uh, at hacking computers. So she hacks 
Sam, Sam's computer after her first murder of my detective. And she wants him to be the investigating detective. And so she knows everything about him as he's trying to unravel who she even is and who the murderer is. So we already have, through her lens, what Sam is like, at least through her vision. And then he begins to flesh himself out more as the books go on. And and did what did she do about uh, all the gay porn she found on his computer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, no, she, she 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 was more concerned about his bank accounts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so she, she goes into his computer and she says that, you know, it's so laughable. His password is cop one. Like, you know, she can't believe how, how easy he was to, uh, to crack. And so she, she goes in. Sam does this one thing that is characteristic of him. And every murder he does, he, he look, he, he's around the Vic, you know, on the, wherever the Vic is lying or whatever. He looks around to make sure no other cops are looking and he takes a piece. He takes a piece from the crime scene that belonged to them, maybe a quarter or a quarter or a wedding ring or something, because he wants to feel the weight of that while he's trying to solve the case so that these people are never forgotten. And he has sort of a touchstone to them. So he's a little bit of a thief himself, but not for gain, but just for, um, for moral reasons to make sure he doesn't forget that, that a body's been lost or a person's been lost. Um, now, do you, do you kind of put a uh, subtext or some sort of a theme underneath the entertainment part of, of each of these books? Yes. In, uh, in, in my detective, the, the, the underlying theme is the shown in Los Angeles through its skyline and architecture and what architecture means not only to a city, uh, but, but, to, but to the, but the people building it. The vision of a city is, is obviously the, the vision of its people and what it says at that moment in time. So I get into developers and architects and, and the greed, but also the art involved in shaping a new city. Uh, and, and, in, um, and in Last Dance, it opens with the murder of a Russian ballerina that Sam finds in the downtown LA loft. And then it goes into Hollywood a, a famous but very mysterious Hollywood producer was a former KGB agent, and and Sam unravels that, and uh, and that goes into uh, the world of the world of espionage and, and, and other things. It's like he tries to solve that murder, and Dylan Cross in Last Dance only haunts the book. Uh, Sam's main case is, is is the one with the Hollywood producer and the dead ballerina, but she haunts it in a way that he can never. She's always present in his mind, and then she makes a, a slight appearance toward the end, and that sets a good night for it. Which that motif is, as I, as I mentioned, I, I, because I live so close to, to Skid Row and things downtown, and I've been really studying and, and just exploring the, just the homeless community just right around my neighborhood. The homeless, the, 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 uh, the subtext of uh, Good Night Forever is a, uh, um, homeless men are being set on fire in Skid Row, and Sam starts investigating it, and he thinks that it is um, a couple of billionaire developers who own a lot of Skid Row and think it's time for, you know, L.A. to solve its homeless problem so they can put up buildings. So the heat, he's tugged that way, and that brings him into the world of the alt-right and, and other things, while, while he's also pursuing Dylan Cross and another another. So in a way, I, I'm thinking that Los Angeles itself is really a main character in each one of these books. 
Yes, I mean, Los Angeles is, and I made that a point because part of the joy of doing these three novels was to explore my adopted city. So by writing about a place, as you know, you, you can uh, you can make it a character. It becomes dear to you. You see what you love about it, its flaws, its maddeningness, its, uh, its things that drive you crazy and things that kind of make you look at something and go, wow, nature actually did that. <laughs> so... So, um, and that's what LA is to a lot. And, and I wanted to not make, I mean, Los Angeles is so stereotyped and so cliche. And I think I wanted to tell my Los Angeles, you know, from Joan Didion to Raymond Carver to Raymond Chandler to everybody, you know, everyone has their take on Los Angeles. And it has to be unique and specific to the writer. Uh, you have to see it in its own rhythm and its own detail. And, and that's what I tried to, to do with this, that Los Angeles was an accumulation of detail as I saw it, as I put it into prose. And, and I think that's what made it, uh, for me, a lot of fun to do. And the thing I came away with in my quest to try to understand Los Angeles is that it's not understandable. It's elusive. Um, and it, it doesn't want to be defined. It doesn't care if it's defined. And and that's what made it, that's what made me understand it a little bit better, that you can't put a wrapping around this and, and dress it up because it's uh, it, it'll trick you too many times, and that's that's the beauty of it. I think. Yeah, it's so it's so there's so many parts to it, right? And it's really out of control in a sense. It's it's kind of like there's no driver here. It's just and all the parts are doing something different, and it's just kind of where you are at. Exactly, and you go out of one part and into another part, and you go, how did I get here? <laughs> yeah, I say that all the time. <laughs> it's uh, you know, it's a scary event, um, but you know, it's what it is. I, I tell you. Do, do you ever look back now? Now that this three book is is done, um, do you ever go back at to book one, let's say, or, or even book two, and kind of go, "Ooh, um, I wished I had done this or changed this, or I, I wouldn't have done it this way now if I was to write it." I think in some ways um, I would have done maybe in the first book a little more foreshadowing of what might have come. Um, each book is, is a standalone. I mean, each book gets the backstory in it. But um, but for the full read, obviously, you read all three. But you could pick up Goodnight Forever and, and read it and not really have missed uh, the other two, as far as you know, the plot and narrative of that novel. But uh, but yeah, because I didn't know they were going to be three books. Um, I had to spend a lot of time in Last Dance and Goodnight Forever, making sure that connective tissue between two to my detective was there. So that became a narrative thing that I had to work on. I would think too, if you're if you're talking Los Angeles and you're making that. Uh, a major force in the book. Um, there's going to be comedy in it, kind of even if it's dark comedy, especially with the noir. Um, if 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 that's true, how is it that you plan the timing? You know, because it's got to be done just right. Right. Yeah, uh, I think Manuel uh, uh, Captain Ortiz can be very comical without meaning to be, which I think is, uh, I think comedy is the hardest thing to write. So you have to be careful about it. And as you said, it's got to be precise and it has to be dropped in the right place, especially if it's not a 
or comedic novel. So uh, Ortiz is, provides a, provides a little bit of that just because he has sort of an off-kilter view of the world. It's jaded, but it, as I said, he still looks for those moments of grace. But he'll see the, the humor and things that everyone else will see, but he won't see it. And Lenny, the bartender, is, uh, is, is exasperating in, in his ways and how he wants to get to the bottom of every little detail and he'll drive Sam tra- crazy while the two are sitting there at the bar at two o'clock in the morning. And so, but you're right, you have to, especially when you are in crime, you have to pace that out. It has to be so organic to the character that you get the humor in it, but you don't go too bright, right? Because then you lose the thread of where you're trying to get the reader to go. But you definitely need those moments of, of levity, otherwise it, it becomes too dark. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think the dark humors need it. I mean I you know, for me I think it's important. Uh it's also an outlet for stress, you know, and right. for other things, other emotions. I think it's a good thing. But if it's if it's done at the wrong time you become offensive. <laughs> right, right, right. Or you throw your plot off, or you throw your narrative off, right? Because you yeah. take it in change direction and speed. Yeah. Well, I tend to be the offensive. <laughs> so much, you know, uh, they, they don't even think about the plot anymore. They're just after me. <laughs> you know, that's okay in a way. Um, well, it's so speaking of that, do you, these are all fairly recent books. Do you consciously try to be uh, aware of how you word things or how you comment things because I always find that in I, I'm doing true crime of course but when I sometimes it can be offensive what people say to each other and this is in real life and it's really hard to um, I don't know kind of um, soften the blow so to speak when people are really bad people and you're writing about them but when you're writing about the situation this is not exactly uh, you know nice family hour this is like you know burning people and neo-nazis and all this sort of stuff going on so do you find that you have to be careful but on how the dialogue is between your characters yeah and i try not to be uh i try not to be judgmental because you don't like the characters going into the neo-nazis or the progressive side of something you 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 want to paint that as a world that's part of the larger world and you don't want to be sam is sam is more curious than he is judgmental he's more fascinated by how things work than he is at at condemning this or that or taking that not that he doesn't think about it or have strong feelings but but um but that's that's again why i think it why i really made it the point two things in these books. One is I want L.A. to be its own character. And two, I wanted my characters to move in the world as as as, as people move in. It's not just confined to the crimes they commit or the things that they see or the family know, but they're tied to this larger flood of humanity uh, that is having its own problems on a, lot of, on a lot of levels. So if you can, without being polemic, drop that in and have them navigate that as they're navigating their own lives and crimes, I find an extra dimension to to the depth of the character. Yeah. Now, you wrote most of this over pandemic times. Um, now, that must have been interesting, especially in um, in downtown L.A. How, how was the pandemic for you in the, in the way it affected your writing? 
Um, and I mean that with, uh, you know, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on <laughs> the last couple of years. Not, you know, just even the way people behave and act toward everyone else and stuff. You just kind of see all this tension. Does that, did that sort of get in or seep into your writing, do you think? In, in Good Night Forever, I, I was in the midst of writing it and finishing up when we started really tumbled into the pandemic and uh and the isolation we all immediately felt and all these things and i didn't i knew the book was not going to come out for at least another year and i didn't it's an interesting question because I, I i wrestled with this and i i, I didn't want it to be like a covid novel too much because people have lived through it right we all shared that experience um so to bring to bring it like it was this new thing this thing that we didn't navigate would have, I think, would have turned people off. They would have said, oh, I've already done that. So I went back and, and in, the, in the second rewrite through um, Good Night Forever, I just added, because it took place in late 2019, Good Night Forever. So I just added a touch, early 220, of, um, of well, I think in one scene when Lenny and Sam were at the bar and Lenny's reading the newspaper and he said, Hey, did you hear about this thing coming out of China, this, uh, this new pandemic? And then, and it, so a couple of places I referenced it, hoping that, uh, hoping that, um, that the reader gets it. Oh yeah. Okay. We know what happened there, but, but at least it's there in the book. So it's topical enough and people can think. I remember years ago, I talked to, uh, I was talking to Amos Oz, the, uh, the famous Israeli novelist and, and he told me something that I, that I, that I remember. He says, you know, we as writers bring, we, we bring words and everything to the page, but the story is a lot more, more about your words as a writer. And you have to rely on the reader's imagination to fill in. And he, he described the color yellow. He said, you have a color, you have a version of the color of yellow and so do I, but the reader might have a different version. So you have to rely on the reader's judgment and insight and imagination to carry help carry part of your story too and i think that's a that was good advice yeah yeah it's definitely um perspective is everything you know right um where you grew up and where you're from and how you see things will be completely how you understand a story in your way you know it's just it's so it's so different you know um well, yeah, but did the, but did the stress itself? Um, I guess what I'm getting at is like when you're locked up in your room, and uh, sitting there, and you and if you every time you turn on the TV, there's you know protesters and there's this and that and all this stuff going on. Does does your emotional feeling at a time when you're writing a book like this? Does it interfere or does it add to it or do you, how does that work for you? Well, for me, it was, it was, it was, it, it was doubly compounded because at the time when the, uh, in, in, um, right as the pandemic was getting underway, I, I became the foreign and national editor of the Los Angeles Times. So I was dealing in real time with COVID, George Floyd, um, every other, you know, major national and international event. At the same time, I was, you know, writing, writing, finishing up this book. So yeah, I was tugged in a lot of ways. And I think, I think some of those ways came into the, into the novel, the sense of isolation, the sense of 
desperation of what's going on in our society, and, you know, the sense of what was happening with the Black Lives Matter protests, what was happening with the cities, where were we going as a country, a lot of that uh, is is infused in Goodnight Forever in, in some of the homeless sections and some of the more topical sections, because I was dealing with that exactly at the time. So where do you see yourself going next? What's up now? Uh, well, I'm, I'm not... I, the, this, the Carver, uh, the Carver um, series is, uh, you know, is a trilogy, the L.A. trilogy part of it. I'll see where that goes after, what, what, kind, of, what kind of manifestation it will take. I'm, I'm mapping out a, a new novel now that, you know, without, without Sam Carver. Um, and I'll see, I'll see what happens with that. I don't exactly know where it's going yet, but I'm, I'm fooling around with some ideas. Yeah. Now, now, do you do you find yourself? Um, how do people find you? Do you like to interact on social media with with readers or fans? Uh, yeah, I I I, uh, I have a, I have a Facebook page, and anyone who you know reaches out to me, I have a, I have a you know I gladly have a you know social media you know swap uh, text conversations with them. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Well, and are you running a website too now? No, not not, not now. Just uh, just my Facebook page. Yeah. How do you like the publishing world the way it is now with all this self-publishing and Amazon and everything going on? It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, all the voices out there that uh, that we would have never heard. I don't know how we can even get our hands around all the stuff that's uh, all the stuff that's being uh, being published and that that we have no idea that, that that's out there. I mean, the enormity of it. I don't. I sometimes go on Amazon and to look for a book or something. You can't believe all the stuff that uh, that pops up. And then we have, you know, that's just in the book world. Then you get to the whole web world and the TikToks and, uh, and the Twitters and, got, you know, all these new things coming up about how people are communicating. And I really realize, especially in the times we live in now, um, generationally, you really, especially in the news business, you really have to be plugged in. I mean, it used to be just Facebook, then Twitter came along, now you had TikTok and and, and these other manifestations and all the all different generations are speaking and collaborating and informing one another in different ways. So you can, you can see how this atomization of how we get our information and, and what's relevant to us changes by the medium and how it's coming to us, to us. And that will also shape each generation or each racial class or ethnic class and how it, we can all go to our own silos now, which is, comforting in some respect but it but as a democracy it, it can be pretty scary yeah certainly uh brings whole new meanings to things i'll tell you that's all i can say leave it at that well um well this has been interesting i'm really glad you came on uh, it's good good talking to a writer that's uh been around <laughs> So to speak, <laughs> and not in the way I have. <laughs> what do you mean by that, Alan? Um, a further definition of that, please. <laughs> well, you know, um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, you are the man of the loaded, uh, the loaded ending sentence. I tell you, uh, that's, that's my reputation. <laughs> I tell you. Well, it's been a pleasure. Anyway, our our guest today has been Jeffrey Fleischman, and uh, newest book is called Good Night Forever. Thank you for coming on the show. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thank you. Tired of wasting time trying to decide what to watch on your streaming service? Go to our website and look for the Martino Movie Reviews. 
You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.